Hebrews chapter 1, the verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Tonight, we want to consider the angels ministering to the heirs of salvation. You will notice that as the apostle has been describing the angels, he calls them ministers. He does this on three occasions. He says it there in verse 7, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers. So that's what the angels are. They're his ministers, God's ministers, the Lord's ministers. And then in our text, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits? They're spirits who minister. And then we read there also in verse 14, sent forth to minister. They're given this mission of ministry. They're given a commission as ministers, and their ministry is a ministry to the heirs of salvation. Now, remember the context of all of this, what the apostle is doing, what he has been showing. It's not that he wants to talk about angels just for the sake of talking about angels. He has been showing the superiority of Christ. He has been showing his supremacy, even as man, as the God-man, over all the angels. We have seen that he is the Son. The apostle calls him the Son because God calls him the Son. We've seen that he is the first begotten. We've seen that he is God, whose throne is forever. We've seen that he is Lord and sovereign over all. So that shows that he is greater than angels. Because he is all of that. But what are they? They are only ministers. That's all. They're not lords. They're not gods. They are ministers of the Lord. Ministers who do the bidding of the Lord. Who are under the lordship of Christ. His ministers. So they do not share in the the glory and the honor of the Son, but rather they serve the Son in their ministry to those people that the Son of God has redeemed. And you notice that this is true of all the angels. Do you see how Paul says that, verse 14? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who are the heirs of salvation? So there's no exceptions. Every one of them are involved in this ministry. What does it mean that they're ministers? Well, it means they wait on God. It means that they are ready to do what he calls them to do, what he sends them to do, to do his bidding. The apostle has been quoting from the Psalms, and the Psalms tell us that the angels do his commandments, hearkening and listening unto his voice. They're listening for the voice of the word that do his pleasure, the Bible says. And that pleasure is revealed by his word to them. So they're ministers who obey the word of God. 
How do they serve him then in this ministry? Well, we have to think about that in a, in a general way, first of all, before we come to the specifics of which the apostle is dealing with. But they do serve God in many, many ways. It's not limited to ministering to Christians. They do many other things besides. First of all, they serve about God's throne directly. They are the ministers of God who are in his presence in a very special manner, in a very special way. They're all about his throne. And so they serve directly in his presence and they do this especially by worship. They are the ones who bless him. The Bible says they praise him day and night, continually, all the time. Singing together and shouting for joy, the Bible says. They seem to do this together as an innumerable host. A great multitude, the Lord's host. And they seem to at times come together to do that often unto the Lord. And it seems that in little groups they continue this day and night. So that the Lord is always surrounded by angelic worshippers. The service of praising God is focused on three areas. They praise God for his glory and for his attributes. For who he is. They love to adore God whenever they discover new aspects of his glory. They praise him for his power, his wisdom, his justice and his righteousness. They especially praise him for his holiness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, they say all the time. So they they are praising him for himself, for his glory. They praise him for where they see his glory displayed. They see the creation and they praise the glory of God in creation just as we do. Maybe we see a beautiful sight, a lovely scene. And we just have to say, oh, isn't the Lord wonderful that he made such a sight? That he made that beautiful valley or that beautiful star or planet, the glory of the sun or whatever. Just time to time it just hits us how powerful and glorious God is. The angels see that as well. In fact, they see that in in more ways than we ever could because they have the whole cosmos, all the stars and the distant planets and they see so much more than us and they praise God for his his glory and creation. They see it on the earth where they spend a lot of time. Remember how in Isaiah it says they, they serve him around about him they say, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. So they've been to the planet. They've seen the glories of God in the created earth. And they worship him for it. That glory in creation. As we do. But they do it with far greater understanding of course. And awareness. But they also praise God for his redemptive work. Because they look into that too you know. That's why the the cherubim were created over the mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled and they're looking to each other and over and toward the mercy seat as if 
standing in awe of the redemptive work as they look at each other over the redemptive work and they're just filled with awe for God in that great redemption for sinners that he has obtained. And so they praise God for the glory revealed in Jesus Christ. They do. We read in the Bible that John in Revelation, he heard the voice of many angels. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, he said. He couldn't number them. He just gives an estimate. And they're saying with a loud voice, one voice. Imagine all those multitudes of people. It's just unthinkable that, that it could be one voice. And yet such is their unity and harmony in this matter that it is one voice Worthy is the lamb that was slain, they say. And they weren't even bought by that blood. But they sing of it. They sing of the worthiness of the lamb. Because they, they see it. They, they look into it all the time. And they rejoice in Christ. They rejoice in the conversion of sinners. And they praise God in his presence. Because of the redemptive work. So those are the three areas of praise. And of course those are the areas that we as Christians should focus on too. We should praise God for his attributes. We should think about his attributes. Different ones from time to time. And focus in on them. And, and praise him and worship him in that attribute. And so we, we do this as well. And. We worship God when we see him in the creation, as I said. Now, we don't have as much light as the angels do on these things, as much clarity as they do. Remember, they're much older. We've only been about a few years. We're just little babies in the school of God, really. They've been on the go for thousands of years. They've seen so much. They've learned so much. So they know more of the glory of God and of the glory in creation and even of the glory in redemption than, than we know. We, we have a lot to learn. And not only are they much older than us, our minds have been contaminated by sin, and that has not yet been totally rectified, and won't be until the day of redemption, when the Lord raises us from the dead. In one area, we have a greater blessedness than they. Because maybe why we don't know as much about redemption as they do, we are the ones who have experienced it. We are the ones who have been bought by that blood and washed by that blood. And so in that regard, we have the greater blessing and we particularly should be filled with praises for the blood of Christ and for the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus. We have received the atonement, you see. But not only the service in the presence of God around the throne of God and worship him in these ways. Secondly, they serve God in the world. And by the world, I mean the cosmos, the whole universe. And especially on, on the earth, as we shall see. And this service of God in the world uh, must be distinguished. It must be distinguished from that which they did before the fall. And from what, that which they do after the fall. The fall brought a great change to the angels. And they became ever so much busier because of the fall. 
And they began to learn so much more about God through the fall as well. They served God in the, in the cosmos before the fall in ways that we cannot understand, we cannot comprehend. That's why the world is so vast, the universe is so vast. We, we may wonder, well, why did God make galaxies away out there that we can hardly even see? Well, it's because of the angels who need something large for their minds to explore. Something great and vast. For they are such intelligent beings. And, and they move so rapidly and so fast. They are even identified with the stars in the Bible in some way. As we study the scriptures in ways that we, we cannot explain. But this seems to relate before the fall. The fall however has brought a change. Not only the fall of man. Also the fall of the angels. Many of the angels sadly fell. And with that dual fall, the ministry of the angels took on new forms in the world. Now they continue to work in the realm of nature, in the creation, acting upon the created world, acting upon the cosmos, working in providence throughout the cosmos, but also here in the world and the earth. They are active in nature. In the natural world. But here's where we're getting to our subject tonight. They are especially active in the realm of grace. With the church. In the history of redemption. They're active in that. They're under Christ you see now. And they work for Christ in the whole scheme of redemption. Now they don't bring salvation. Don't misunderstand me. When I say they work in the history of redemption. They're not they don't die on the cross, they don't bear sin, they don't save sinners, they don't bring the redemptive work. They don't originate it, they don't purchase it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings it and Christ is the one who obtains it. Uh, they can no more redeem than they can create. Only God can do these great works of creation and redemption. But they participate in the history of the church. And we see this both in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament. And it's a very long study. Because the Bible has lots and lots to say about it. And we're not even going to begin to touch upon it. In our study of the Hebrews. But Paul is, is giving us a little whetting of the appetite. For such a study in the word of God. That's what the apostle is referring to. The angels working in the realm of grace ministering to those who are the heirs of salvation. Now, whenever Paul says they are ministers for them, ministering to them who shall be heirs of salvation, he's not saying that they are our servants. They're his ministers. They're the Lord's ministers. They minister unto the Lord, but they, they do it through his people. They're doing it for the Lord but they're doing it to his people for the Lord. They're doing it on, on the account of his people. On account of the Lord's love for them. They're doing it for the well-being. So they, they are ministering to the heirs of salvation. They're helping them. They're strengthening them in many different ways. Which, which we may touch upon. But they're doing it for the Lord. They're the Lord's ministers. A good illustration of this is the vision that Jacob had. Which is why we read Genesis chapter 28. You remember that whenever Jacob came to Luz that night, 
the sun was about to set and he, he went to sleep and he had a dream and the ladder was set up on earth. Obviously it was set up by God right at his foot near to him and it reached away up to heaven and at the top was the Lord. But these angels were coming up and down to him on top of the ladder up and down that joined heaven and earth. That's one of the early insights into what the Apostle is saying here. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ interpreted that vision for us, that dream. He says, Verily I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the ladder. He's the one who brings us to God. He's the one who came down set up the channel between heaven and earth, reconciled us to heaven, to God. But in the reconciliation, angels participate in this transit to and from heaven. They're coming down to God's people for Christ's sake. They're identified with the mediator. They are ministering for Christ's sake. They ministered to the earth. They ministered to the ear of all things, the Son of God himself, whenever he was on the earth. You remember how they, they told the shepherds where he is? They told the shepherds who he is? They talked to Mary? They talked to Zacharias? You remember how they ministered to Christ, the head of the body, in the temptations? Remember the Lord was tempted by the devil? Who came along and and helped him and ministered to him after that. It was the angels. And then you remember whenever he was in Gethsemane. And he was bodily weakened. We read that an angel came. And strengthened him. In his humanity. The angels ministered to the body. Christ's body. And that meant that they ministered to the head. He's the main part of the body. And they minister to him as the head of the church. But they also minister for his sake to the body. They perform the office of help and strengthening to the people of God. For Christ's sake. They do it on account of Christ. They're coming up and down that ladder in connection with Christ. To minister to those that he has reconciled to God. To those who are the heirs of salvation. They're coming down through Christ and on behalf of Christ to do that. There are several questions that we have to ask about this ministry. Ministering to the heirs of salvation. The first question is, why do they do this? Why do they minister to us at all? And then the second thing that we have to ask is, how do they do this? And then the third thing we have to ask is, what is it that they do to us or for us in this ministry? So first of all then, why do they minister to saints? Why do they minister to us? There are a number of answers to that. Obviously the first and the major answer is that because they're commanded to do it, they do God's bidding, they obey the word of the Lord, 
They do the pleasure of God. That's their first aim. That's their ambition. That's their highest aim. To glorify God. And they do that by obeying Him. Doing whatever He wants. His pleasure. They do His will. And His will is chiefly for His church. And for the good of His church. And so therefore, they minister to the church at His bidding. At God's command. God says, go to that saint. Go to Daniel and shut the lion's mouths. Go to the saints and protect them in the furnace of fire. They go to do the bidding of God for the saints. They're commanded to do it. That's why they do it. And what other reason do you need? I mean, that's why we should do what we have to do because God commands it. We are to wait on the commandments of the Lord. But they do it perfectly. They do it also, obviously, because they love the Lord. They don't do it out of a slavish dread. They're not prisoners. They're not in bondage. It's not slavish obedience. They're not forced to do it. They don't get up, as it were, in the morning. I I hate ministering to those saints, you know. It's such a slavish chore. I wish I had another job. No angel ever says that. They just love the Lord so much. Whatever the Lord asks them to do. They love to do His bidding. They're not fallen angels, you see. We're not talking about the fallen angels tonight. The fallen angels don't love the Lord. They they left the Lord. They don't take commands from God, except He forces them in His sovereign will, commands them when they must obey, but they, they don't really want to do it, and they don't love the Lord. The fallen angels were proud. They came to love themselves more than the Lord in some mysterious way we can't comprehend. They don't love the Lord. If the Lord must take a creature nature, and I think this is probably the reason for the fall of the angels, it was probably revealed to them that the Lord Jesus, that the Son of God was going to take a human nature. Imagine that, a human nature. I think there were some angels who didn't like that. No, the angels must be as God, not man. The devil says, no, I'll be as God. The angels are to ascend. The angelic nature, they want it to be taken up. Not the human nature. And so they rebelled. They come to hate the Lord who would take that nature. That's why the devils are filled with such enmity to the human race, you know. Why do they hate us so much? Why do they want us damned so much? Humans. Because they they hate the thought that the Son took a human nature. But you see these holy angels who didn't fall, they love the Son of God. And they love Him for taking human nature. They, They can humbly accept that and rejoice in that as the will of the God that they love and adore. And they're willing to minister to the mystical body of Christ because they love Him. So they do it because they love the Lord. And they do it because they love God's family. That's the third thing. 
They love the family of God. They, they love the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, yes. But they also love their, their fellow angels. They love one another. They love them that have been adopted into the family of God as well. They, they know that these are the adopted ones. They know that these are the heirs of salvation. They're very special people, you see, in the grace of God, brought into the family. And they love the family of God. They love the whole family. And that's why they will minister to them because they're the family. They love us, you see. They love us for the Lord loves us. Just as we love each other because the Lord loves us. And if the Lord loves you, I have to love you. And the Lord loves me, you have to love me. And vice versa and so forth. And because the Lord loves the heirs of salvation, the angels love them. Uh, and they minister to them because they have this love for them. So the angels love you, people of God. Even though we're unlovely and unlovable really, as we are presently. But they also minister to us because, you know, it's, it's very interesting work. Very exciting work for them, actually. The history of redemption is exciting for us. Don't we love to read about David? Do we love to read the Bible stories about the saints of God? Isn't it exciting for us to hear about Peter and James and John and all the apostles? Isn't, isn't redemptive history so exciting just, just to read it? But imagine for them, they're participating in it. They're seeing David. They're visiting David. They're even with David in heaven tonight. It's interesting work, you see. They don't get up, well, the angels don't get up anyway, they don't have to sleep, but if we could imagine, you know, some morning an angel getting up and saying, oh, this is so dull, this is boring work. It's never like that. Many occupations are dull and boring, and we have to thank God it's only for 40 or 50 years, you know, and not for thousands and thousands of years, but these angels have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> They're not bored. Oh, it's thrilling for them to participate in all of this. We read prophecy and it's exciting. Uh, we experience salvation and it's exciting. But they're participating in all of this. They're, they're seeing sinners converted and offered to heaven to tell, to tell the others. And they're rejoicing in the presence of God over the sinners that repent. That's exciting for them. So I think that's why they do it too. Though not the main reason, obviously. But it's also educational. They're learning so much about God. This is what it's all about, really. It's a school for the angels. That's why God has ordained it so. Now we're going to learn so much about the grace of God as the church, ourselves. But you know, the angels are learning it too. They're seeing it in the school of grace. What grace is in the experience of those that they minister to. They, they know that we are a, a very unholy bunch. You know, the angels see your sins too. You know some of them. You can't hide it from God, any of them. But even some of our sins we can't hide from some of the angels. They're about us all the time, you know. So they know that we are not a very holy bunch uh, at times. 
And they're learning about the Lord. Oh, the, the patience of the Lord with his people. The mercies of God with his people. The grace of God. The long-suffering. Isn't God amazing? They don't come and look at us and say, Oh, isn't that Christian amazing? Isn't that saint amazing? Do they want to give us a pat on the back and say, You're an amazing... No, I don't think it's a case of that. It's a case of, Oh, isn't the Lord wonderful to use this one? Isn't the Lord wonderful to... Even allow him to be in the service of the king. Isn't the Lord so gracious? I think they must say that all the time. I think their mouths must open as they minister to the saints. And just, oh, bless God for his patience. Bless God for his grace to these sinners. It's an education for them. Didn't the apostle say, to the intent to this, this intent, this intention of God and this whole scheme of grace, to the intent that now, even now, even before the end of the world, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by or through the church the manifold wisdom they are learning about the manifold wisdom of God. Even now, long before the end of the age, even now, generation to generation, they're learning it through the church. The church in this age and the church in the next age, they're being taught the manifold wisdom of God. They love those lessons. They delight in those lessons. And it makes them go back to heaven with even louder praise and a greater voice as they choir together around God's throne of grace. Peter tells us which things the angels desire to look into. So they study. It's also rewarding work because, as I say, it fills them with praise. It fills them with worship, especially of the Lamb. Now they begin to comprehend and understand why he was incarnate. And they are rewarded in the education that they get. They're rewarded in the joy that they receive as they learn more about God and praise him with greater understanding. Because remember, angels aren't infinite in their understanding. They're learning every day. They're learning every year. We are a very big school for them to learn, and I can tell you. In some respects, we may even be bigger than the universe. The universe is very large and they can learn so much of the power and wisdom of God. But you see in the church, we're the big body that teaches them about the grace of God, you see. They didn't learn that anywhere else. And they love that subject of grace. They, they love this mercy of the Lord because they didn't see it in their fellow angels that fell. They didn't get this mercy. But these sinners did. And they delight to minister to us. Because what are we really good for? We're only really good for displaying the grace of God, aren't we? The grace of God. And then they do it also, I think. We're thinking about why, why they minister to the heirs of salvation. With, with the zeal with which they do it. I think another reason is that, that they do it to reproach Satan. And to reproach their fallen brethren. The fallen angels. The angels say to Satan. The Lord rebuke thee. Yeah the Lord rebuke thee Satan. 
And the Lord uses the ministry of the angels as part of that rebuke. They act contrary to Satan. They act against Satan. Much of the help that they bring to the heirs of salvation is actually against the snares and the devices and the dangers that Satan could bring to them. Because, you know, the devil could rip us apart. Physically, he could rip us apart, tear us to shreds, bring us straight to the grave. He has the will and the volition to do that. And he would do that every day. But for the angels who encamp about them that are the Lord's guarding us and protecting us, they are involved in a greater warfare. That's what I'm saying They're doing it because there's a greater warfare. It's not just about the heirs of salvation. It's about this greater warfare with the devil, with Satan, and with his angels, with the fallen ones. And they're doing it in that warfare as against Satan and as a reproach to him. Satan has lost that opportunity to serve God in that way. He threw it away through his pride. He wasn't going to serve to men. He was not going to do that. And these angels who do do that are a reproach to him. And I think he hates them every bit as much as he hates men. They make him feel that reproach. And he hates to think that they will be the victors and the champions and that they have something that he can never have, never enjoy. And so they they scourge Satan and they whip Satan and they batter him in that remaining part of his body. The Lord has bruised his head, of course, but they give him a good battering too in ministering to us. It is part of their soldiering, their warfare for God, which is why they do it with such zeal. So this is why they do these things. Just a few points in closing by way of some application. Consider the blessedness of being a Christian. That we have these loving ministers who minister to us. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be a Christian? Whenever they comprehend something of what the Lord has for them. And part of it is this this ministering band of mighty and powerful angelic beings this ordinance of God to them in their ministry. And so it's so wise to be a believer, isn't it? And the folly of not being a believer, the folly of being against Christ, the folly of rejecting Christ, and having these angels not as our friends, but as our enemies, as the ones who will take us and cast us into hell. That's awful, that's dreadful. I mean, it's bad enough to have the devils and the demons against you. But to have the holy angels as well, how terrible that would be. So the wisdom of being a Christian and the folly of rejecting Christ and setting yourself against the whole cosmos, God, the holy angels and the fallen angels too. How helpless is a fallen sinner who hasn't got Christ? If God be for us, who can be against us? But if God's against us, Everything is against us. Everything. You have to have Christ. 
as your Savior. And then let us thank God for the ministry of the angels. Endeavor to study it and contemplate it. And receive some comfort from it. Let this, what I have said, increase our faith. And encourage us. And let us be more careful and circumspect in life. Because we're not only in the presence of God. But we're in the presence very often of holy angels too. So let's not forget about that either.